welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, ladies. So, what do you think about talking about safety and the safety module today? It's essential. I'm gonna I'm gonna just open up by explaining that with Allies in Recovery. Uh, we took craft from a 275 page manual down to eight brief modules. Module two is entirely on safety. That's a lot more than what you would find in people trained in craft. One of the reasons, and, and this is because Dr. David Scherer, who helped us create those scripts, helped us translate that clinical manual in, into something that families could understand and use and remember. Um, one of the reasons is we're doing this online, you're doing this work online, and you need to be aware of safety because you, nobody else is gonna point it out to you on our end, right? So you need to understand your situation, you need to understand when you're seeing danger and what to do, very simply. So we expanded safety into an entire module too. And very quickly, because you can go to it and, and see it for yourself, but we talk about things like red flags, what are the signs that something is flaring up conflict is starting, somebody's getting aggravated. We also take you through a very basic domestic violence safety plan. Do you have a room that locks? Do you have your keys in a certain place so you can get out of the house? Do you have an exit plan? So families will tell me, oh, I don't have a safety issue. My loved one is gentle and has never been aggressive. And I always say to them, you know what? They get a new drug, they can't find their drug. You have no idea whether um, what's coming through that door is the person you knew a day ago. You have their dealers. A lot of times family members end up with people pounding on their doors looking for money. I'm sorry to tell you this. And we've had this incident happen and she knew to take her cell phone, which was always in the same place. She'd been taught to put it in the same place, hold it up at the window and tell him that he was, she was calling the police and he, and he left. So very simple reaction to what was a dangerous situation. In the work of craft, you would be ruled out from doing craft if you have any past history with your loved one of him or her being aggressive. So know that if you have active violence, aggression, anything that makes you feel dangerous, makes the children or elderly people feel dangerous, do not do craft. You need domestic violence help first Craft asks you to make changes, albeit little changes, positive changes, connective changes, right? But if you've got somebody who's unstable and could potentially hurt you, we rather you not try these changes. Again, you need help with the potential for violence first. I also want to add in there that you kind of touched on this, Dominique, that your loved one may be gentle and kind when things are copacetic and going the way they have always gone. But when you start implementing craft and start changing things up, things can become heightened and can turn in a direction that you weren't expecting. This is a reason why you do want to have a safety plan no matter what. And the safety plan isn't always about just keeping yourself safe. It's keeping everybody safe. It's keeping other people in the house safe. It's keeping your loved one with SUD safe. It's taking everybody 
into account and keeping them safe. Yeah. And I just want to add that I do Imago couples therapy and it's exactly the same role that you do not start couples counseling with uh, a couple that where one of them is actively violent or has a history of violence because no work can be done if there's not full safety. And so really what we're talking about is the role of safety in this process. With all work in any format, you always are looking at safety first because without safety, we're talking about change and change is a destabilizing agent. And if somebody has a propensity for violence, that's gonna set them off. So you need to really look at this and really go in with your eyes wide open so that you're prepared. And the other thing, just based on what Lori and Dominique are talking about is we're not only talking about substance use disorder, we're also talking about mental health issues. So with the combination of them can be volatile. So you wanna really think about all of this and process it with yourself and your other family members before you make any big changes. You need to have this top of the list of what you're gonna be assessing before you move forward. I also wanna ask Dominique a little bit of this because I also think it's really important for families to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about this kind of violence, because I think the family member has to really assess, how do I describe this? Sometimes there's a lot of verbal abuse. I mean, in my case, there was, there was a lot of verbal abuse. I considered that was a spot where I could make change and his words were not going to hurt me. So it wasn't violence to me. Also, my thing was, as long as my loved one isn't physically attacking me. So there were times when there were holes put in the wall, but it wasn't me, right? And it, and there was never a punch or anything like that or a slap or things thrown at me. It was always thrown at the wall or punched in the wall and walking away. Can you just kind of outline, Dominique, like what do we mean by that? Very good description right there. You know, the difference between throwing something away from you, punching a wall, or throwing something at you, or swinging and missing you. You, again, as the family, are the ones deciding, you know, what is tolerable. But we do draw a line somewhat differently than other people because we're dealing with folks with active addiction and and you've got this bad behavior. I don't think there's anyone on this podcast who hasn't been cussed at, screamed at, finger pointed, you know, step towards, you know, so there's all levels of this. And we draw the line at verbal abuse is okay with us. You can do this work of craft. If you are clear that you are dealing with verbal abuse, you know it, you know when it's coming, you know what it sounds like, you're going to get used to it, you're going to ignore it. As Lori says, you're going to back down, you're going to de-escalate, which is what I hope we turn to next. Some very simple ways of just pulling yourself out of these things, because that's what we always recommend is get out. First and foremost, just get out. Calm down, because you're likely to react in ways that traditionally, historically, have perhaps led to further escalation. And we want you out early and clearly and gently so that you're not followed to the bathroom and you know you know the rest of it. You have to be able to assess whether your loved one, what the limits are and whether it's safe to be able to do this. I also want to clear up that when Dominique says verbal abuse or whatever is acceptable, meaning it's acceptable in this moment because we're going to affect change. 
Right. It's not that we're going to accept verbal abuse forever and ever and ever. That's not it. We're going to get strategic. We're going to find ways of backing down and we're going to learn some communication skills on our own part as the family member, as the ally to this person to start to affect change in a positive way and to gently send the message that this behavior is not acceptable. I want to make it clear that we're not saying, you know, you're going to accept verbal abuse for the rest of your life. That's not it. What we are saying is that when there is verbal abuse, you can use craft. You can start to use craft to make those changes. It's just that when someone is getting physical with you and you really are in danger or someone else is in danger, you've got to find a way to get out of there. And that has to be addressed before you can do any kind of method or get strategic. And we would say, let's not use craft, put it aside, go and get the help that you need for the domestic violence and take it from there. So what does this scenario look like? It looks like, okay, he's doing something he hasn't ever done before. He's never had that look in his eye. He seems really upset. I don't like it. I know where my keys are. I know where my bag is. You know, hon, I'm going to go to the store and get some milk for dinner. You know, you're going to back yourself out of there quietly, neutrally. You're going to get in your car. You're going to have figured out where you're going, maybe your sister's house, maybe a friend's house. You're going to go debrief, reassess, maybe go home, maybe not. Okay. And so the words are, okay, honey, I, I see that you were upset about your work and your boss today. Let's just sit down and have dinner. I see, I understand, I hear, um, it makes sense, right? You hear them, you understand them, and then you try to shift it to hopefully what's next in the evening. So these little de-escalation techniques that aren't a big deal, but because you're aware of the red flags, which is the way his eyes started to look and the, the fists, the hands clenching, you know, you know these signs. We give you little forms to fill out that asks you for these signs. We suggest other signs you may not have seen before. You keep adding to these signs as you develop your awareness for this. You catch these signs earlier. You back yourself out earlier, go calm down somewhere, you bite your tongue, you get out, and then try to get back in later. These are just basic techniques that are covered in module two. The the communication stuff is, of course, the most sophisticated of it, right? You really need to be able to talk your way out of it. Sometimes it's just about, hey, you know, I hear you, you're tired of, of this job and you hate this job and you don't think you can go on. Let's just have a good meal and, and we'll pick it up in the morning, whatever it is. Just in generally, as with all these modules, you're looking to build the awareness of what we want you to focus on, which we want you to see so that you become better strategically, you become better in your reaction, you have a few tips and words to use to get down and out of it. That's it. But it's really important not to skip it. And I, I think it's really essential because we don't talk about this a lot with the safety and listening to you what I'm hearing Dominique is that there's a lot of preparation that the safety issue is really about being aware increasing your awareness about reactivity of the other person knowing what triggers them knowing how your response might impact that and also the preparation of if it gets out of hand what you're going to do so that you don't have to come up with a brilliant idea when you're in the heat of a moment. 
I think this is actually good for life in general is having a silent and quiet safety plan, which is where are my keys? And as somebody that I always have to have my keys and my phone in a place that I'm aware, because then I feel like I could get out of anything. If I have those two things, if I'm looking for my keys when I'm upset or in danger or feeling reactive, then I'm a mess. And what we're describing is if there's this intense heated moment, you don't want to be distracted by trying to find something. Your job is to have preparation so that you can be calm or appear calm at those moments and quietly extricate yourself from that situation. I love that you said that, appear calm, because I did have to do this. Not that my loved one was physically aggressive with me, but the verbal abuse and the yelling and the screaming and in the beginning, I didn't know what to do. So what was my strategy? I got out of there. I would get my other children quietly. And the reason why I did this and why I did exactly what you're talking about, Kayla, I stayed very calm. It was like I was, I'm, no, I'm fine. I'm in a really calm state right now. I knew where my keys were. I knew where my phone was. And I would find some way to kind of slip away, tell my daughter, Usually it was my younger daughter that would be, it would be like, get in the car, just get in the car. I will meet you out there. And then it was like, I have to go to the bathroom and I would get my keys, my phone. I would slip out the back door. I would get in the car and I would drive away. I needed this moment to just get myself together. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It's not like I got in the car and I was like, whew, it was crying. It was difficult to deal with, but I also tried to stay in control for my daughter um, so that she wasn't experiencing a lot of trauma out of the situation. Or if she wasn't there, then I did let go. Then I did get in the car and cry and often would say things like, I can't believe I'm the one who has to leave. It's my house and I have to leave my house. But over time, I realized that it was just a way for me to get away from this verbal assault and the anger, it was a way for me to just calm down, put up that emotional barrier or boundary. And then I also started to realize that when I did that, when I left, my loved one calmed down. Not maybe not to the same level as me, I, you know, because when I would get back, he might be still angry, but he wasn't yelling. And he was usually not talking to me at that point, which was fine. So just hearing this, everybody think about this. It's not a bad, it's not a bad way to approach things to kind of exit out and then come back in. But specifically with domestic violence, if there's that physical violence, absolutely get out of there, get out of there. It's not worth challenging it. If you think about how to neutralize something, because that's the goal here is neutralization and not escalation. John Gottman is a couples, a couples counselor. And one of the things that they have is they have people in real life, you know, sitting in the room and arguing. And what they found is that when things get heated, there's no getting through it. You There is no working through when either one or both people are escalated. So what they do is they have people take a break. And by the way, using the bathroom is a way to actually neutralize yourself because there are hormones that get activated when you're upset. And if you urinate, it actually comes out of your system. So it helps you balance. Bizarre thought. And as somebody who's a frequent flyer on that level, um, 
I I would be doing it anyway. So <laughs> not alone. But, but it really does make it really makes a difference. So what's so funny to me is every single module that we talk about has a space element. That is the the theme that that moves through all of our work, which is take space. There are so many benefits to taking space. And in this case, what we're talking about is also having the additional preparing of taking space so that you can keep yourself. But safe space is the number one way to keep safe. And if you could do it, the reason that Dominique is talking about having this, and, and Laurie are talking about having this kind of binding connection of like, oh, I really want to hear what you have to say, but I need to just go do blah, blah, blah right now. So I, I call that the offer when somebody is like yelling at you and they want you to say, where are you going? Where are you going? And you're like, listen, I really want to hear you. It really matters to me. This is important to me to understand you. So I you throw that out and then you're like, but right now I need to do blah, blah, blah. And I will be back. And then I want to continue the conversation. But right now I'm distracted and that's not I, that's disrespectful to you. So I need to leave and I'll come back and it will be different. Now, this is advanced. Basically, what you're doing is saying, I hear you. I'll be back. I need to go right now. I always get concerned that if somebody's activated, they're going to feel abandoned if you just walk away and that's going to escalate them. So you want to throw out a line that says, this is really important. I want to hear you. But right now I'm. I'm not able to listen to you. So I want to be able to come back and listen to you more effectively. So I'm going to go right now, but I will be back. Yeah. We talk about this issue in the, in our meetings in the evenings about how it is so important to let your loved one know you're coming back because they do feel abandoned or they feel like, oh, you don't want to hear me. You don't want to hear what I have to say. It is important to say you're coming back and it's also important to come back. But just to kind of bring us back to this safety issue, I do think if there's domestic violence, there may be added steps you need to take. And I do know that there are, if you think about it, I've heard about a lot of people that maybe drink. When they drink, they may become violent and they don't even remember, right? So there may be some added piece that before you start using craft, that needs to be implemented before you can kind of step forward. Because we've got to think about things like the use of meth and stimulants can put people into a, a state of psychosis and people can become violent. I've also heard lots of times when people drink, not everybody, but some people drink and become aggressive and can become violent. Some people remember, some people don't remember. So this added piece of if there's violence, especially physical violence being hurled at you, you've got to think about getting that added piece of help. And we're going to add the mental health issue here, which is that there are some forms of mental health issues that violence is part of, or that kind of intense physical reactivity, because they're so dysregulated that it goes from being upset to getting physical because people are having a difficult time containing themselves. And you know that better than anybody else. So you know your loved one. And what we're asking you to do is be extremely honest with yourself about what you're dealing with. That's important here. This module is about really sitting down and kind of taking a look at retrospectively the person's behavior, when things have gotten out of hand, 
what the dynamics have been, what your part of it is. You then pick up the tools that we're offering so that you have conscious choices that you get to make during this time. And another huge piece of this is it might be that it is not safe to have this person close in in your life. And that is terrible to think about, but it might be part of this decision for you. We're working with a mom in um, British Columbia whose son uses methamphetamines. And he typically lives at home with her, but as the meth use has worsened, of course, there's danger, there's psychosis, they're sleeping 24 or 48 hours, the whole cycle of, of one binge. And because of allies in recovery, the probation system that he's under is going to allow him to stay home living with her as long as she does the work with us and he does the work that probation wants him to do and that he agrees to not be home when he's psychotic, when he's in any part of the cycle of use. He can only come home when he's not using and there are perhaps a week or two weeks and he's trying very hard. So he's putting more and more time in between. The situation isn't completely safe, but everybody's working together the son has a house, has a home. The mother feels safe. She knows what she's doing. She actually feels really empowered. Her son wants to make this work. She wants to make this work. The courts want to see it work. Allies wants to see it work. And you've got a situation that is kind of novel with a very dangerous drug. And I know she's attending, I think she's attending Kayla's group. It's just that she needs regular sort of support and reminders of what her role is and to feel supported in what she's doing at home with her son. It's an experiment, but it's one that you're seeing buy-in from the state, from the criminal justice, and from a parent. Single mom, 28-year-old son. So we see this a lot, especially with single moms, right? This is everything to them and they desperately want this to work. And so this is a situation that has been set up. She and the, the attorney and the court, you know, they all kind of figured this out together. But what's exciting about listening to that situation is that the mother had to be working with the probation officers to explain about what her intention is, which is to use craft. And then she's got the state backing her work up doing this, which is part of what we're talking about now a lot is advocacy there. So there's the systemic advocacy, which is working with the system to acknowledge the family members, which is huge, which it sounds like is what she's doing. And then there's advocacy for yourself which is how do you advocate for yourself in various situations, whether it's with the community members or with your loved one. And that's what we're talking about here is you have the right to advocate for what you need, not just what your loved one needs, but your needs are essential in this process. And that's part of the whole safety issue. That's right. And, and her need was to want her son home. Her need is to have him close. His need is to be close to her. The courts are drug testing. He's having to check in, he's having to do his recovery work, and he's still going out and binging once in a while. And so everybody's aware of that. And the system is holding him even despite that. So for me, it's harm reduction, it's incrementalism, it's keeping the family together and connected. It's the systems working with, I mean, this is British Columbia and Canada. There's more flexibility in their system 
their criminal justice system is very different than ours. We in jail so many more people. They really look to keep people out of jail. So it's different, but it's a really good example of being innovative and what can be done when you include the family and you see the family as empowering and skilled, able to handle things and working in a team of sorts, right? Not working in isolation. Okay. I have some specific questions I'd like to ask because mostly our discussion has been around just that interaction with the loved one and them, you know, them becoming either violent or emotionally deregulated and explosive. I'd like to talk about a few other issues that keep coming up with a lot of family members, some real specifics where people might not think about it in terms of, no, this is a safety issue. What I heard recently, actually, I heard this from a mom and she actually did a fantastic job, but she was just questioning. Her son was asking to take the car and she knows he's been smoking pot a lot and she does not feel comfortable giving him the car. And we, we had a great discussion this week about it. If your loved one is using and they come over and they're high or they're taking the car out of the driveway and they've been drinking and they, I tell everybody, no, this is safety. This is safety. You do not give 2000 pounds of metal to someone who's been drinking, smoking, you know, using mind altering substances in any way, shape or form. So if your loved one shows up high to your house and they drove there, you got to drop the craft and get the keys. Fine. You can try and you can try and talk them through it and see if they'll give up the keys and all of that. And I, and I think that's great, but you have to do everything in your power. And I tell, I tell my family members this in my meetings, I don't tell people what to do. We can brainstorm together. You are the one who's going to have to decide what to do. This is the only place where I do say, no, it is your responsibility to get in the way of your loved one who's going to do something that is extremely unsafe, not only for them, but for other people, right? If your loved one, I don't know, grabs the car keys and takes the car and you know they've been drinking and they're driving up the street, you call the police and you give them the license plate number, the make of the car, you do it. You absolutely do it. And I find that a lot of family members, especially parents, although I'm sure couples go through the same thing, right? Because I'm thinking, well, I don't have the right to get in the way. And a lot of family members are worried about, well, he's going to think or she's going to think I don't trust them. And I'm like, do you? Do you trust them with the keys to the car? You don't. It is your responsibility if you know someone is high or drinking or whatever it is to not let them get behind that wheel, even if they're going to go and get in the car and smoke in the car, which by the way, now that it's legal where we are, people are absolutely smoking pot. I can smell it on the highway <laughs> as cars go by. I think this is a really important point. The role of the authorities in safety is so many times they're like, oh, I don't, I want to keep my loved one out of jail. I don't want them to get in trouble, all that stuff. And I, I have seen over and over again, the benefit of getting the authorities involved. 
There's a few reasons why that works. Number one is then they become the person who's setting the limits and not you. So that's one very, very helpful part of it. But the other thing is there's accountability for terrible behavior. And so, for example, in this case, what Lori is talking about is calling the police if they're driving drunk, then you're you're possibly saving your loved one's life as well as other people. And then they have to go through a process of engaging in treatment, especially if it's one or two DUIs and not the third one, because the third one, in, at least in Massachusetts, is jail. But they're engaging in treatment somehow. And we don't know what the impetus for somebody actually getting clean is. But you never know that this might be the moment. And also, the whole idea is that if you're, you know, like there was somebody that they were trying to get keep their loved one out of jail. And I, I'm like, just let the person go through the system and work that through. It's like if they, this is accountability for their actions and, and protecting people is not always a great idea. So I hear what you're saying. And, and I agree under particular circumstances. So I do not believe that people should be arrested for substances and possession and that kind of thing. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people getting behind the wheel of 2000 pounds of metal. And when people say things like, I'm worried that he won't think I trust him or she, and I'm like, well, if they're dead, you're not going to worry about that anymore. So that's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about, you have to get in that person's way. You're right. They may end up in an accident and not make it. They may kill somebody else. They could end up maiming themselves in a way that you are now taking care of them for the rest of their lives. They may injure somebody else and do the same thing to somebody else. It's just a bad all around. So for me, I don't care who you are, you call the police and you get them involved, right? And I do understand that this is really, and I, I'm going to be open and honest about this. This is really coming from a white perspective as well, yes. because I do think that in BIPOC communities, it's really difficult to call the police and get the help that you need. And I think in the past, it was even worse for everybody. But I think that there are a lot of police departments now that are becoming a little bit more compassionate and caring when it comes to substance use. But again, that's not really what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is people being put in incredibly dangerous situations, and you would never forgive yourself if you didn't take those keys and something happened afterwards. If you didn't either take the keys or call the cops, you will not forgive yourself if something horrible happens that you didn't do that. So when I'm in with groups, I'm like, yep, nope, safety first. I don't care what you have to do. You get in the way of your loved one driving 2,000 pounds of metal. And there may be other situations, and I can't think of any anything on the off the top of my head, but there may be other situations that, again, it's a safety issue. It's a safety issue. Well, if somebody's being violent with you directly... And you're in the in a space with them. That to me is that other safety issue. If you can't get out, then you need to somehow figure out how to dial an emergency number or get somebody else to do it for you. If you can't get out, I mean, we're talking about prevention. But if you're in it, yeah, you need to be able to do something about that. And if that's the only way that you could be safe, then it's necessary to move forward with that. Right. One other thing, and and Dominique, you may remember this. You and I were doing a training together 
actually, I think it was our very first training that we piloted. And a grandmother had said uh, something about her letting her daughter drive her grandbaby in the car. And it was like, no, 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 not ever. No, not ever. If your daughter's using substances, you do what you have to do to stop that. It's a safety issue. It's not okay. And the relationship, building the relationship, and they're going to get mad at you and get angry at you. Yeah, that's going to have to be put to the side because the safety of the grandbaby is more important than anything else. Okay, ladies, great conversation. I hope our listeners got a lot out of that. Kayla, can you just give us a quick summary of what we talked about today? And then we'll say our goodbyes. All right. So this is module two, which is the safety module. And a lot of people pass it by and don't look at it because they think that they're fine. But what we want you to do is take time and look at this safety issue so that you could decide whether you need to make a plan. You need to be prepared. You need to learn how to de-escalate. You need to know what red flags are happening and really sit with yourself so that you assess the situation and you're aware and prepared for whatever happens in terms of safety. It's essential. Do not skip this phase, even if you think that's never going to happen. Just do it and Hopefully you'll never have to use it, but if you need it, it will have taken place. Okay, great. Great conversation, ladies. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.